Hebrews there and how our lives. For there are captives who tired of our songs and our tormentors nurse, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget the excuse. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest glory. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem, how they said, Lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you and what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Thank you for that uh, uh, very enthusiastic welcome. I think we'll try that again. Uh, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Wonderful to see you at church this morning, and it's uh, great to see uh, some new faces joining us and some old friends as well. Uh, my name is Huey, if you haven't met, and uh, I'm one of the ministers here. It's a great privilege to be opening up God's Word with you this morning. So uh, why don't we keep uh, Psalm 137 open in front of us, and uh, we'll work through uh, this part of God's Word uh, together this morning. So uh, before we do that, uh, I'm going to lead us in prayer. So will you join me as I pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for a beautiful day, and we thank you for gathering us this morning as your people. Thank you that uh, you reveal yourself to us in the scriptures, and we pray that this morning as we um, turn our minds to the things that you say, uh, that you give us understanding, and that you will help us to know you and to be comforted by you and your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, friends, uh, what is the strangest thing you have seen in a Christian gathering? What is the strangest thing you have seen in a Christian gathering? Uh, I'm sure this will only happen in America, and I know there is someone from America here this morning. Uh, but uh, uh, I, I heard this week of a, a Christian conference that happened in America. Uh, it was in a Presbyterian church where um, they gave everyone who came into the conference a helium-filled balloon. Why did they do this? Well, they wanted to see how much joy there was in the room. And so everyone was instructed that uh, uh, at some time during the conference, uh, when they felt joy in their heart, they were to release their helium balloons. Well, the story goes that during the conference, you could see all these uh, helium balloons rising to, to the top of the roof. Uh, perhaps some people uh, released their balloons uh, during the singing, uh, perhaps others released their balloons during the Bible teaching. But at the end of the conference, uh, it's reported that about one-third of the people were still holding onto their balloons. Now, of course, uh, we would never do anything as strange as that uh, in our church. I mean, we are Anglicans, after all. But I want to suggest that this strange experiment tells us something important about the church. It tells us that Christians do not always feel joy. Is that true? Not everyone who comes to church on a Sunday feels able to sing songs of joy. 
if I were to give you a helium field balloon today, uh, I wonder how many of us would still be holding onto it at the end of the service. Well, we've been looking at the Psalms during January. Uh, the Psalms uh, are, if you like, the, the songbook of God's people in the Old Testament, isn't it? Uh, in particular, we've been looking at Book 5 of the Psalms, which uh, uh, are the final sort of cluster of Psalms uh, towards the end uh, of the, the Book of Psalms. And uh, today we're going to be looking at Psalm 137. But uh, as uh, Psalm 137 was read to us, I wonder whether you notice that it's a little bit different to the other Psalms that we've been seeing uh, through the month of January. For many of the Psalms in Book 5 have been very joyful, very hopeful, and very positive Psalms, haven't they? Uh, if you cast your mind back, uh, you might remember that the very first Psalm in Book 5, Psalm 107, was a, a call to give thanks to God for His steadfast love that endures forever. Last week, uh, Mike took us through Psalm 121, which was part of uh, the Psalm of Ascents where we were encouraged to confidently turn our eyes to God as our helper and as the one who keeps us safe. But I want you to notice that in today's psalm, we see something a bit different. We see that life in this world as God's people involves weakness. Yes, we have pockets of joy, but there are times in life, isn't there, when we find it almost impossible to sing the songs of God's people with joy. Have you ever come to church and felt like you couldn't sing because of what life is really like for you at the moment? Have you ever come to church and you know, as others are, are singing songs of joy, you, you just feel this jarring effect in your heart because deep inside you are weeping. What do you do when you do not feel joy as a Christian person? Well, uh, if you've ever felt this way, then you are in good company because Psalm 137 begins with God's people weeping. You can see it there in verse 1. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to uh, verse 1. And uh, you see there in verse 1 that there is a group of God's people who are sitting by the waters of Babylon, crying and weeping, mourning. Why are they weeping? Well, look again at verse 1. Uh, it's because these people are remembering Zion, which is uh, really just another name for Jerusalem the city of Jerusalem. Now, why does remembering Jerusalem cause so much grief to these people? Well, if you know your, your biblical history, and you will know that in the year 586 BC, a great tragedy happened to the people of Israel. For that was the year when a foreign army from Babylon violently laid siege to the city of Jerusalem destroying the city and destroying the temple and carrying away many of the people into exile uh, in, in this foreign land called Babylon. 
friends, I want you to try and feel the gravity of the weeping and grief here. For this wasn't simply the grief of a people who had suddenly been displaced from their home. Rather, it was the grief of a people whose hope of blessing from God had been totally shattered. For Jerusalem was much more than just the city. It was the place where God had promised to dwell with his people and the place where God had promised security and prosperity and blessing forever to his people. And yet, here they were in this foreign land looking back and seeing their city of Jerusalem lying in rubble. You can see the depth of their grief in, in this psalm, can't you? Uh, have a look at verse 2, uh, where they hang up their lyres, which uh, were stringed instruments. Uh, it'll be like a mini harp. In other words, they don't feel like they can make joyful music. In verse 3, all they can hear are the mocking voices of the people of Babylon who taunt them by asking them to sing their old songs of joy that they sang back in Jerusalem. It would be a bit like Australia losing the cricket to our bitter enemy, England, and being asked to sing Advanced Australia Fair, just as a way, just as a bit of a joke. It would be humiliating. And so in verse 4, which uh, I think uh, verse 4 belongs to the first three verses of this uh, psalm, but you can see there in verse 4, the people of God cry out to one another, saying, how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Uh, now, it is true, isn't it, friends, that sometimes when we read um, the Old Testament, the circumstances of the people of Israel can sometimes feel a million miles away from us, a world apart from us. And yet I want to suggest that the experience of God's people here is actually not too different from our experience as well. In fact, the New Testament book of 1 Peter, you might remember, tells us that as Christians, we too are exiles in a foreign land. That is, if you are a Christian person, then your true heaven is in Jerusalem, in heaven, in the new Jerusalem. However, you are not there yet, are you? And so you and I live uh, in exile in this world, which is a world full of weeping and suffering and pain. In fact, uh, in the Bible, the city of Babylon gradually uh, takes on a more symbolic to be the place where people are living in opposition to God. That describes our world, doesn't it? And so as you and I live in exile in Babylon, there will be times when heaven seems so far away. And in your grief, you feel like you cannot sing songs of joy that speak of the new Jerusalem. Is that true? Perhaps there have been times when you have come to church after a great personal tragedy in your life. Perhaps you've lost a loved one. And uh, you find that you simply cannot join in the joyful songs that have been sung. Perhaps you have a terminal illness 
people suffer from the darkness of depression or have debilitating anxiety in their life. We're going through unspeakable pain. Now, sometimes without the knowledge of others, and you find that you simply cannot join in when we when we sing songs of joy because it feels so jarring. Have you ever had that experience? Now, in many ways, these are things that non-Christian people also experience, aren't they? But I want to suggest that um, being a Christian person adds an added layer of suffering to our lives. For, you know, we are the people who know God's promises. We are the people who know God's promises of blessing for us as His people. And yet, as we uh, look around the world and as we look uh, at our own lives, well, sometimes it doesn't feel like there's much blessing. That's true. And we, we face the mockery of the world. Now, how ridiculous must we sound to the rest of the world sometimes? Now, Christians are the people who claim to be the most privileged people on earth as God's people, and yet our lives seem so unimpressive at times, don't they? How can I sing the Lord's songs in Christ? Now, friends, what do the people of God who feel like they cannot sing need to hear? If you have a look at the next part of our psalm, what the people in this psalm actually hear is the voice of an individual. Now, I don't know whether you noticed, but there is a bit of a change here. Uh, have, have a look closely with me, because uh, you can see there in verses 1 to 4, uh, you hear the collective voice, don't you? Don't, don't, don't you? Uh, we sat, sat down and wept. We remembered Zion. We hung up our lives. But in verses 5 to 6, notice that the voice changes to be that of an individual. If I forget you, if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem as my highest hope. In other words, what's happening here is while the people are sitting around weeping, um, one particular individual gets up. Uh, Perhaps it's it's one of the song leaders uh, of Israel. And he rises up to encourage the people in their weeping. Notice that what is expressed here by his song leader is a deep commitment to never forget Jerusalem and God's promises for his people. In fact, uh, you can see there that uh, he even says, uh, if I forget about Jerusalem, uh, let me be a person. In verse 5, he says, If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. That is, uh, let me forget my ability to play a musical instrument. Or in verse 6, he says, Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. In other words, let me lose my ability to sing. Uh, Some of you might know that uh, one of my uh, guitar heroes is a person by the name of Eric Clapton. Uh, what some of you might not know is that Eric Clapton uh, 
Eric Clapton's guitar playing days are nearly over uh, because apparently he has some nerve John Farnham has recently had surgery for mouth cancer and will probably never see death again. Not being able to sing is probably the worst curse that a singer can, can have. What the song leader of Israel is saying here is that if, if he forgets about Jerusalem, let me be cursed in the worst possible way. would have been, even while this song leader is expressing his commitment, how easy it would have been for the people of God in Babylon to forget about Jerusalem. No, it would have been very easy for the people of God to invest all their energies into life in Babylon, so that they would start making Babylon their home, rather than it would have been very tempting for the people of God to start worshipping the, the shiny gods of Babylon rather than worshipping the true and living God. It would have been very tempting to simply adopt the values of Babylon so that they could just blend in with everyone else in Babylon. So that little by little, they would compromise not be recognizable as God's people. Uh, the other day I went to the beach with my family and uh, my daughters uh, were swimming uh, between the flags. But I noticed that uh, as I was standing there watching them, that little by little, uh, the, the, the current kind of was dragging them to the side. And before long they were sort of outside of the flags. Of course, uh, if you drift too much, then you put yourself in real danger of being dragged out to sea by strong winds. I mean, it didn't happen all at once. I mean, my girls didn't even notice it happening, but it did happen little by little. They're okay, though. They made it home, but you, you see the point. It's the same with us. How easy it is to So that surely, slowly but surely, we drift away from all our energies into this world as if it is our home. How easy it is to slowly drift in our Christian lives so that we start worshipping the shiny gods of this world that seems so attractive rather than worshipping the true and living God. I mean, this happens little by little, doesn't it? As we often start to even make the good things in our lives into the most important things in our lives. Now, work is a common example. Children's activities are a common example. And 
sure sign of Christian's idolatry is that we start to make God and serving God kind of fit into the rest of our lives, which we consider more important, rather than the other way around. How easy it is to adopt the values of, of this world, whether it be the sexual ethics of this world, or the, or the life is all about me attitude that this world so firmly believes in. So that after a while we live no differently to the world around us. So how do we avoid this trap? How do we avoid forgetting about Jerusalem or the new Jerusalem place? Well, this psalm teaches us is that we avoid forgetting about Jerusalem by looking to our song leader. In this psalm, the people of God would have looked to, to this nameless song leader who encourages the people by expressing his commitment to never forget Jerusalem, but to set Jerusalem as his highest glory, as you notice in verse 6. His highest glory. However, the song leader in this psalm points us to an even greater song leader who did not forget Jerusalem, but set it as his highest joy, even as he faced the darkest moment of his life, which was death on the cross. Now listen to what the writer of Hebrews says about Jesus in the New Testament reading that was uh, read to us uh, just a little while ago. Uh, he says that God's people are to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. That is, Jesus set Jerusalem as his highest joy. Before the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. So what do you do when you feel like you cannot sing songs of joy in your time of grief? Well, you look to you look to the one who did not forget Jerusalem, but set it as his highest glory. You look to the one who was so committed to Jerusalem, to people like you and me, who are part of that Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, that he was willing to die on the cross for our sins, so that we will also be in heaven. And you look to the one who has risen from the dead and is now seated at God's right hand so that you can be confident that despite your weeping, despite your mourning, despite your tears now, that there is a day that is coming which will be glorious for you. A wonderful day for people like you and me who have been saved by the goodness of our God on the cross. You might not feel like singing now, but if Jesus is this committed to Jerusalem and to you, then you will surely turn to your salvation. Let that sink into your heart and into my heart this morning. But the song leader in Psalm 137 uh, is not done yet. For in the final part of our psalm, notice that he calls on God to bring to bring on the day of judgment in order to destroy 
where his name is. And you can see it there in verse 7, uh, where he calls this day the day of Jerusalem. Because that will be the day when the enemies of Jerusalem will be destroyed and where Jerusalem itself will be covered in glory. Uh, perhaps the surprising thing here is that the first people who calls upon God to judge in verse 7 are the Edomites. Now, does anyone know who the Edomites were? Uh, I can see some of us drifting off to sleep, so I might um, just ask you to have a chat with the person sitting next to you. Uh, who were the Edomites, and why is this psalmist calling on the Edomites to be judged here? I'll give you a, a minute to talk about it. Okay, that's enough time. Uh, who were the Edomites? Uh, throw up your hand. We have a member of staff on uh, More Theological College here, so if you don't know the answer, I'm sure, I'm sure she knows. Um, but uh, who were the Edomites, and why is the psalmist calling upon God to judge the Edomites today? Yeah, well done, John. Yeah. So, did, it, did everyone hear that? Um, the Edomites were the descendants of Esau, and who was Esau, and who was his brother? So, uh, Esau and Jacob were brothers. Um, the Edomites were the descendants of, of uh, Esau. And the, the nation of Israel were the descendants of Jacob. So, essentially, uh, the Edomites and the Israelites were cousins. Uh, but why uh, does the psalmist call upon the Edomites to be judged here? Sorry, were you going to go on with that? Yeah. <laughs> they made war with Israel against, uh, after the Exodus. Yeah, they weren't too friendly uh, to them. Yeah. Uh, but even more than that, um, you know when the Babylonians came and destroyed Jerusalem, it was the Edomites who actually took great joy in that and uh, kind of egged the Babylonians on uh, as they destroyed uh, the city of Jerusalem. I mean, it's unthinkable, isn't it? You would think that your cousins would be the ones who would come and save you, but they were the ones who, you know, took the side of Babylon. Uh, which is why in this passage, they, they, they say in verse 7, lay it bare, lay it bare down to its foundations. That, that's what they were calling out uh, for, for Babylon to do. It is sometimes the case that the ones you would expect to be on the side of God's people are the ones who are actively at work in bringing down God's people. I mean, think, for example, about liberal Christianity in this world. While they adopt the name of Christianity, um, I don't know uh, whether there's any group that has done more harm to the Christian cause than the liberal Christians. But the song leader here has more than the Edomites in his sight, doesn't he? Notice that what he really wants from God is for him to destroy the Babylonians themselves and to repay them for all they have done to Jerusalem. You can see it there in verse 8 where he says, O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you. Now Babylon, Babylon is described as the daughter of, of, of Babylon here because you know, they were at this stage beautiful like a daughter. But the song leader is giving his blessing or his endorsement 
to those who will be used by God to destroy these people. In fact, he goes on to say something that can only be described as deeply, deeply disturbing in this passage. Uh, you can see it there in verse 9, can't you, where he says, Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. In other words, this psalmist is actually giving his blessing and endorsement to those who will be used by God to murder the babies of Babylon by smashing them against the rocks. It truly is one of the most sickening images in all of Scripture, isn't it? In fact, it's so awful that some Christians have simply ignored this part of the Bible altogether or cut it out of the, the church's teaching. Now, you can understand the sentiment, can't you? For this is truly, if you think about it, an awful passage. But friends, I, I want you to see that it is the height of arrogance to simply choose which bits of the Bible to keep and which bits of the Bible to throw out and ignore, isn't it? As if reading God's Word is, you know, a little bit like going to a buffet where you can pick out the food you like and, you know, not go to the food that you don't like. I mean, we can do it as well. I like what the Bible says about God's love, so I'll take that. But I don't like what the Bible says about sexual ethics, and so, you know, I like what the Bible says about salvation, and so I'll take that. But I don't like what the Bible says about commitment, and so I'll just ignore that bit. It is the height of arrogance because that is simply standing in judgment over God's word and telling God what He is allowed to say and what He is not allowed to say. wrestle with passages like this, how are we to understand it? How do we make sense of such an awful passage like this? Well, here are four uh, quick points uh, that uh, I'll, I'll uh, present to you, and uh, perhaps you can continue to chat about these things and uh, have to think about whether these things are right or not. Firstly, God's judgment is about retributive justice. God's judgment is about retributive justice. Now, the Old Testament teaches the principle of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, life for a life. Uh, the New Testament is no different, friends, for it teaches that God will repay everyone for what they have done in their lives. It is the idea of the punishment fitting the crime. And so, because the Babylonian army destroyed uh, Jerusalem, and it is likely that in warfare, uh, they also smashed the babies of Jerusalem and destroyed them on the rocks, the song leader in this psalm asked God to do the same to the people of Babylon. The punishment fits the crime. Secondly, it's important to understand that the song leader is not seeking personal vengeance here. You know, when individuals decide to take justice into their own hands, it usually ends up being a tragic overreaction. Think about, you know, that a husband.
in a rage, murders the man who had been speaking to them. But here, the song leader is not seeking personal vengeance, but trusting the God of all justice, the God of perfect justice, to take vengeance on behalf of his people. Uh, thirdly, passages like this are troubling to people like us. Because most, most of us who live in the comfort and security and prosperity of the Western world, um, of which I am a part, have simply not experienced the depth of injustice for our people. Is that true? But it's not true for Christians in Nigeria, for example, who have experienced unspeakable injustice at the hands of those who hate your husband being murdered brutally for his faith, or if you see your daughter being violated because of her faith, or if you see your church being burnt to the ground by those who hate God and his ways, then such prayers for retributive justice are not so troubling. One African church leader says, such a psalm troubles Western Christians but does not trouble African indigenous churches. And finally, the gospel of Jesus teaches us to pray not only for justice, but for mercy, even for those who oppose God and who are his enemies. Do you remember that Jesus, even though during his life he prayed for justice, his last prayer, as he hung on the cross, was a prayer for mercy on his enemies. He prays, Father, forgive them. Forgive even your enemies, for they know not what they do. Indeed, the genius of God and the wonder of the gospel is that at the cross, both justice and mercy come together beautifully. For it is at the cross that God took vengeance on the sins of people like you and me as Jesus dies in our place. But it is also at the cross where we who were once enemies of God are forgiven and turned into his enemies. And we who were once a part of Babylon are brought into the So if you are here this morning and you are someone who does not know this God, then this is the prayer of Jesus. And this is our prayer as a church, that you would come to know God's mercy by putting your trust in the one who died for you and making him the king of your life. It is wonderful to know this Jesus, for we live in a world that is evil, but he is our king. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us this morning, and we thank you especially for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is our ultimate song leader, who was so committed to Jerusalem and to us, that he was willing to die for us and to rise again, to give
ที่พระเราคือคนนี้ใจจงรู้ถึงพระองค์เราดีขึ้นพระเราเราขอเชิญทุกคนที่อยู่ในวันนี้ที่จะรู้จักพระองค์ในการร้องเพลงของพระองค์ในการแสดงความเศร้าโศกในวันนี้เราขอเชิญทุกคนที่อยู่ในวันนี้ที่จะรู้จักพระองค์ในการร้องเพลงของพระองค์ในการแสดงความเศร้าโศกในวันนี้ Pray for those who are facing opposition to your faith, that you will grant hope and endurance. But for these friends and for us all, we pray that you will help us to look to Jesus, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross and is now sitting at your right hand. And we pray that as we look to him and as we see his commitment to us. Thank you.